good morning, everyone. I love the excitement about Pastor Tim's Bible class. We are so blessed by Pastor Tim O'Fallon. Let me tell you, he puts a lot of time, a lot of work. Our desire is for people in our church to be able to go deeper into God's Word. Right now, he is in Charleston, South Carolina with a daddy-daughter vacation. So, Pastor Tim, from us to you, we love and appreciate you, my brother. Guys, it's hot. I've been in Florida my whole life. I have never been in heat like this. It's like heat that just sits there on you. So on behalf of the Lord, I just want to apologize for the weather that we've been experiencing. But it's great to be in air conditioning here at Countryside. Amen? So as Pastor Andrew said, we are in a series called The Constant Pursuit of More. We live in a culture and an environment that is constantly putting in front of us, this is how you will be happy. This is how you'll be satisfied. This is how you'll be who you're called to be. Listen, the world lies. The world is a liar. Last week, Pastor Andrew did a great job on the constant pursuing of comfort. Now, a lot of you may have thought that he was kind of overstating his problem. Um, I saw him, I raised him. That boy was all about the money. And to see what God has done in his heart to change his perspective was radical. I witnessed it. And last week was a testimony of what God can do. So Pastor Andrew, wonderful job on that. This week, we're talking about the constant pursuit of perfectionism. 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 Now, Honestly, if we look at that, so many of us are caught into this trap. We're trying to do everything we can to be perfect. It's funny how when we struggle with perfectionism, we look at other people and we have grace for them. We have grace for our children. We tell them, hey, nobody's perfect. It's okay. Get up, brush yourself off. It's going to be good. But yet to ourselves, we often put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect. And if we're not perfect, then we fail like a failure. I want you to know that has been something I've struggled with my whole life. We mess up. We beat ourselves up. Feelings of shame, feelings of unworthiness. And the worst part of it, sometimes we can look at scripture like Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, and it says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, there's no pressure there. Just like God, be perfect, never sin, never have a bad thought, never look at somebody critically, be perfect. I'm going to come back to that scripture later on, but today I want to start with there's so much pressure on mothers. We live in a culture that is saying, you have to be this to be a good mother. You have to be doing all of these things. And sometimes we could get so overwhelmed with the gravity of being a great mother that we end up like this. I saw this comic this week. It says, am I a good mother, Susan? Well, my name's Amy, mom. No pressure there. But the women, they have so much pressure to have a Pinterest-worthy home. I've never seen so many people posting their dinner table with the settings and the glasses, and you got it faded in the back, and it looks so perfect. It has to be Instagram-worthy so that everyone around us 
can see how perfect I am. We got to take our kids to the zoo, do crafts with them in the evening, throw elaborately themed birthday parties. Listen, yesterday I went to a birthday party of a five-year-old that I, my family's connected to this kid. And so I walk in the door, I walk in the door and I look to the right. Now, the theme of this party was lemonade. Lemonade's the theme. So I'm thinking, all right, great. We'll have some lemonade and a picture, you know, pour a little lemonade. So I walk in and this is what I walk into. Okay, so that's called a grazing table. When me and Elaine threw our kids' birthday parties, it's like Hungry Howie's and a Coke. So here they got all the different cheeses. It's like, you know, Julius Caesar ate all these fruit. You have pepperoni that looks like a flower. Of course, I grab that pepperoni. I'm pulling that toothpick out. I'm wrapping that thing around. It's a grazing table, a grazing table. So when I was raising my kids, we had one Mylar balloon every single time. Sometimes it was a jumbo because if, if they had like a dollar off at Publix for the jumbo, it'd say happy birthday. I thought we were doing good. And then I, I look at this parent and I see this. And I see this. See, at Pastor Glenn's home, that little lemon up there, that was it. That was the only balloon you had. Imagine how, the, how much work it went. And then we go outside for lemonade and here's the lemonade stand. What? I mean, come on. And then I realize that's not just some kid. That's my granddaughter's party. So when we say some of us struggle with this, I'm saying this is something that so many of us struggle with. Mothers are trying to have a successful career while balancing out having a hobby, while working out five times a week so they could stay just right. They feed their kids organic kale, organic kale and carrots. I just want to say, Mom, thank you for not feeding me that when I grew up. You know, thank you. I mean, yeah, I appreciate that. I love you. I love you, Mom. All right. So we're feeding our kids kale carrots, and then we sneak into the back and we eat Doritos and Cheetos and Oreo cookies. There's pressure that we, if we're really a good mom, we're going to pray an hour a day. We're going to be the homeroom mother. We're going to do the laundry. We're going to read books to our kids, give them baths, tell them stories, sing them songs. But then we feel guilty if we stay home and we should be providing so that our family is blessed. And then we feel guilty because we fantasize about the mom's day out for free. You find yourself driving up and down the highway looking for the free mom's day out. And then you feel guilty because you prayed for children all your life. You're so excited about your kids. And now they're going through the terrible twos, the terrible fives, the whole, my goodness, terrible junior high years. And you find yourself praying for different kids. But then if you work, you feel guilty that you're not there and you're leaving the kids and we get so caught up and so overwhelmed. Sometimes you find yourself giving your kid the iPad and hiding in your closet and eating the entire box of cookies for an hour. But here's the thing. Perfectionism is not just a mom problem. Perfectionism is an all of us type of problem. 
You see, I, I struggled with this my whole life. I can remember being a, a kid and, and teenage years, and I, I played a lot of sports, played basketball, played baseball, had all these things that I would do. The thing I would always remember about the game, I may go three for four with a triple, a double, and a single, drove in four runs, but you know what I remember? The one at bat that I struck out. In basketball, you know, I'm making shots, I'm getting rebounds. What do I, what do I remember? The technical foul for being a little bit too aggressive on the basketball court. Some of you guys understand because I've seen you play. But oftentimes, instead of looking at, all right, we did good, we overwhelm ourselves with, I wasn't perfect, therefore, I failed. And oftentimes, we set in ourselves unrealistic expectations unrealistic about what we can do in order to be happy and fulfilled. I find myself preaching and I'd, I'd see myself, well, I didn't do the right thing. I didn't submit. I used to, when I started preaching, I would leave the stage and I would think, man, I forgot to say that. Man, I can't believe I said that. Oh man, that was, that was horrible. Oh, I'd go home and I'd be like, what's wrong with that? That was horrible. And then I went to a counselor and he said, here's the deal. What I want you to do is every time you walk off that stage after you preach, I want you to stand in the presence of God for 30 seconds and thank him for the words that he gave you today to share with your church. And when I began to do that, let me tell you, it took the pressure off. We try to have a good career. We try to be successful. But let me tell you, oftentimes we fail in our performance because we get so caught up in what we do and how we do it and the success of it. And we pay the price because it's overwhelming. We're stressed out and we feel like we're failing. Let me tell you, I can get caught up in this. I'm, if I seem excited about sharing this, because this is a, a week that I looked in the mirror quite a bit. And I thought, this is something that I believe will change people's lives that are battling the constant pursuit of perfectionism. And that no matter what you do, you still feel like you're failing and you're not measuring up and you're not doing right and you're locked into this prison cell and you obsess about too many things that you're failing at instead of focusing on the things that you're effective at and you're efficient in. Because when you're overwhelmed with all of it, and you realize you can't be perfect in all of it, then what happens is we become efficient in trying to do more and do more. This can fall into control. So many people, they, they live with so much control in their life. It's gotta look a certain way. It's gotta, because if I, if I give that up, then I don't have control over it anymore. And the fear of losing control can overwhelm you to obsess to be perfect. So knowing it's hurting me, but you believe it's the price that we pay and oftentimes we see that, we work hard, we work hard. If I just work harder, and it's a price we feel like, if we're gonna be successful, this is how you do it. And it can be overwhelming, and we can be locked in the prison of perfectionism. So today, I wanna give you three types of perfectionism that you can follow along with. Many of you may fall into this. I fell into two of these, these different um, types. And so I believe that God wants to open your heart and I believe that God wants to bring peace to your heart as we focus on the difference between God's grace and perfectionism. Number one, the first type of perfectionist is the self-oriented perfectionist. You hold unrealistic high expectations of yourself, but then you battle with feelings of guilt, obsessing to the point of inefficiency. You're prone to procrastinate and struggle with deep feelings 
of inadequacy. When I was in ministry the first 20 years, I felt guilty for 20 years. I'm not doing enough. I would sneak out of church a couple times to go see my son's baseball game. I felt guilty trying to be a good parent. In order to be a good parent, then I'm going to fail at being a pastor. Trying to be a good pastor, I'm failing at being a good And I found myself feeling these deep feelings of I am not adequate to do it. That is a lie from the enemy. Amen? Number two, it's the externally oriented perfectionist. You believe others expect you to be perfect. To cope with pressure, you often self-deprecate yourself with humor as a defense mechanism. You often feel alone, depressed, and secretly feel desperate because you know you will never be enough. That is lie number two. And people are taking the bait of Satan and believing the lies that the enemy wants you to believe. You are enough. With Christ and because of Christ in you, you are enough, church. Can you say amen? Number three. The third type of perfectionist is the others-oriented perfectionist. You expect others to live up to your impossible standards. Because you tend to lack empathy, you often tear others down or use abrasive and demeaning humor towards those who don't meet your standards. Some of you were raised with parents like that, and you felt that pressure because of what your parents put on you. Honestly, some of you are parents like that. And you need to look inside of your heart because the pressure we can put on our kids because of our expectation can be absolutely overwhelming. But we have to realize that there is a spiritual side of perfectionism. It sounds like a psychological problem, which oftentimes it can be, but the root of perfectionism is a spiritual problem. You see, perfectionism is the perfect mask for insecurity. Perfectionism oftentimes is covering our deepest fears and oftentimes covering the sin that's in our lives. We want people to feel like we're good and we're doing everything right. And oftentimes we put perfectionistic things out there, but it's a mask hiding who we really are because we have fear of exposing the core of some of our failures. We see that with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They're, they were living carefree. They were happy as can be. They were loving life. I mean, they were running around with no clothes and just fine with it. That was a joke. Okay. Uh, yeah, I heard that laugh. That was fake. But when they sinned, then they felt shame and they felt guilt. They felt condemnation. And that in that moment is when they covered themselves with the leaves and they went into hiding. It was a mask. There's so often that we show others what we want them to see because perfectionism oftentimes is the covering of our own insecurities and our own shortcomings. Welcome to Countryside, a house where people fall short. So what do we do? As Christ followers, as spiritual beings, what do we do with this root issue of perfectionism? Or perfectionism? What we need to do is let God solve the problem. That's who we serve. 
We serve a problem solver when we give every area of our life to God. We gotta realize who we are in Christ. We gotta understand what his word is saying to us and we gotta have faith to believe in our heart who God is. Romans chapter three, verse 20. It says, for no one, everyone say no one, no one. No one can ever be right with God by doing the law commands, doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. On our own, in our own sinfulness, you cannot ever be perfect enough for God. But aren't you glad God doesn't expect us to be perfect? The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But why do we have the law? The 10 commandments, it was the standard that was set before us. Why do we have at the end of that verse, it says the law simply shows us how sinful we are. We're in a room full of jacked up sinners today. Guess what? You got a jacked up pastor. Because we all need a savior. That's why Jesus came was to rescue us from our sin, to rescue a back bunch of jacked up sinners to find grace and peace. You see, what the law reveals is our deep need for God's grace, God's mercy, and the need we have for a savior. You see, back in Bible times, they didn't have the 10 commandments. The Pharisees before the they had 613 commandments, 613 commandments. Can you imagine a Pharisee waking up like counting them off? Whoa, I got to. Now, I could have you stand and say, give me the 10. Some of y'all might get three, five. But even then, we can look at our 10 commandments, the standard, and we fall short because we fall short. Ten Commandments says, don't lie. Don't steal. Don't covet. Sometimes I see some of y'all pulling in, and I have to fight that one. I look at that car, I'm like, ooh, it's a nice car right there. Another one is don't take the Lord's name in vain. Some of you may be like, Pastor Glenn, I forgot about that one. I forgot about that one. But you see, the truth is our heart, the Bible says, is deceitful above all things. That's our heart. The core of our heart as human and flesh in a sinful world is deceitful. But we have to realize until we see that we are sinners, we won't see our need for a savior. I don't know about you. I need help. I can't live without God's help. I need to know that I'm right with God. So how do we know that we're right with God? Again, in Romans chapter three, verse 22, it says we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. I want that to just sink in. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone. Every, I'll say everyone. Everyone who believes, no matter who you are. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter how bad of a sinner you've been, we are made right 
with God by having faith in Jesus Christ. What is that called? It's called the grace of God. It doesn't say you're made right with God. It's not Christ plus church. It's not Christ plus good works. It's not Christ in helping the old lady across the street. But you need to help that lady across the street. Let me tell you, please do. It's not Christ plus not doing bad things. You're made right with God. Here's the equation. Christ plus nothing. That's what God's grace is all about. Christ, now, do we do good works? Yeah, we do. We're challenged to undo good works by grace. But let me look at the difference between perfectionism and true grace. What do they say? Perfectionism is about what do I do? Grace is about what has Jesus done? Perfectionism is all about me, me, me. Grace is all about Jesus. Perfectionism is if I, beg, if I obey God, then he will love me. But grace is because God loves me, I can obey. Perfectionism says when God's approval, here's a big one. Grace is living from God's approval. You see, it's the grace of God because of what Jesus did on the cross that takes the pressure off. So because of Christ in our life, church, the pressure is off. And if we truly understand this, it shouldn't just change the way that we think. It should change everything about how we relate with people, how we live our lives. You see, grace takes the pressure off. And because of what grace does, I want to give you two applications that you can add to your life, apply it to your life in the area of grace and perfection. Number one, we need to choose people over perfection. We can get so caught up in our tasks and our performance that we lose sight of what people are even going through. We can get so caught up in doing our duties even at church that we lose sight that there's somebody that's hurting that we need to spend five minutes with. We need to say a prayer with those people. Why am I at the front door? Because if you're hurting, I want to be there. I want to know you. I want to pray with you. I want to believe God for a miracle in your life. But let me tell you, in my mind, because I'm task-oriented, and that's how I'm, in my mind, I battle with that. I could be so focused on a task that I could walk through the hallway and not even notice that my wife just walked by me. So it's an intentional thing that we have to be very intentional not to get so overwhelmed with the tasks or the performances that we lose sight of why we're here to truly love people. But you have to choose that every single day. We see that in Luke 10 where we see Mary and Martha. Imagine this, Mary and Martha, they invited Jesus to their house for dinner. Now I've, I've gone to some of your houses for dinner and it's funny when I walk in, everybody's a little bit nervous. Everything's perfectly laid out. The pillows are all fluffed and they have that little karate shop in the middle. I walk in, they, they, the smell's there. You got that little Febreze thing you plug in, it's spraying that smell. It's Perfect. Listen, I want to, if I ever go to your house, it's really, it's not that big a deal. My house doesn't always smell good. It's okay. It's, it's good. But imagine, it's not your pastor. This is Jesus coming to your house. Oh man, Martha is like, it's going to be 
perfect. She's fired up. She's getting all the dishes ready. She's got that soup, the meatball, matzo ball soup going on there. She's got all this happening. She's so excited and she's getting mad. She's like, Mary, get in here and help me. I need your help. Jesus is coming over. Let's go. But what did Jesus say? It says here, but the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. We live in a world that's constantly telling you it's about what you do. What you do is who you are. What you do is what makes you a great man or a great woman. Listen, when we forget about what everybody else is thinking and we begin to think about what God's thinking, we will turn our tasks into people. We won't rush through our conversations because we want to move along. We won't drive into our neighborhood and time it out. I've done it before. You know how you... You're tired, your neighbor's out by the mailbox waiting to say hello to you. And we time it so right when it goes up, you pull in, you do a little wave, and it goes right back down before you ever get out of your car. And maybe the next door neighbor that you don't even know their name needs someone to talk to because they lost a loved one last week. Ignoring people, that's the culture we live in. See, take the pressure off. Begin to choose people over perfection. Choose perfect love over performance. We could choose the perfect love of our father rather than trying to impress him with how good we are. Listen, God's not looking at you go, you know what? They serve in the nursery. <laughs> I like that one better. Oh my goodness, there's a helping hands volunteer. God's not looking going, you know what? <laughs> it's been hot out there. You get some bonus God points for that. He's not looking at what you do. He's looking at who you are because he loves you just who you are that he created to make a difference in this world. So when God looks at you, he doesn't look around and go, that's my favorite. He looks at all of you and says, all y'all, that's country God, all y'all my favorites. Every single one of you are God's favorite. When you look in the mirror tonight, look in the mirror and see what God thinks of you. You're his favorite. But oftentimes we focus on our deepest fears, our inadequacy, our shame, our guilt, our fear of rejection, our fear of being judged, fear of intimacy. But here's the key. We have to choose love over performance. Choose love over performance. You see, I was telling you earlier that scripture, you gotta be perfect just as God is perfect. But what I did is I took that scripture completely out of context. You see, oftentimes we can look at the Bible or we, we scroll around on Instagram and, and we scroll around on Facebook and we see these memes that are pulling out these scripture verses completely out of context. When you study the Bible, it's important that you look at the verses before, the verses after. You look at what the Word of God is saying in context. So in that context of Matthew chapter 5, the context is not about your performance. It's not about your behavior. The entire context of that section in Matthew 5, it's all about 
love. But when I said, be perfect as Christ is perfect, all of us are like, man, this, this message stinks today. But let's look at what truly is being said in the scripture in Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. It says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's challenging, isn't it? If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even the pagans do that? Then it goes on to say, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. The word perfect right there, it comes from the Greek word teleos. It doesn't mean without sin. What it's meaning is perfectly mature, perfectly complete. You see, an eight-year-old doesn't have the same maturity as a 24-year-old. They've grown and they've matured and their bodies and their minds and their spirits have been perfected over time. You see that word teleos, it's the same root word that Jesus used when he was on the cross and he said, it is finished. The word there was telenestai. And it's in other words saying it's complete. It's mature. It's now whole and it's done. What Jesus was saying here is love. You've been taught love, but yet you don't love your enemy. You've been taught to love others, but you love those that is completely easy to love. And Jesus is saying you love everyone. Grow and mature in your ability to love one another because ultimately all of our goals and purposes in Christ is to perfect our purpose. And all of our purpose, all of us are called to love God and to love people. Listen, as I close this message, I, I want you to know there was a time I was overwhelmed with the fear of failure overwhelmed with feeling inadequate, feeling like a fa failure, worried about what somebody was gonna say, looking at my mailbox at church thinking, oh, I don't wanna open this one. Someone's gonna say something and it's gonna make me feel insecure, make me feel bad about myself. Someone's gonna say they don't like that I wear jeans, I should wear a shirt and suit and tie. Someone's gonna say we should have more worship, we should have less worship. We should have this song or we should have that song. Oh, worship was terrible today. They didn't do that Waymaker song that I love so much. Some people are gonna say, well, the, you know, pastor, you're just too tall. I can't change that I'm too tall. So often we worry about our performance and our, our insecurities and our achievements, but it's covering what we feel deep inside is that we're inadequate. Church, hear me. You are adequate. Christ in you, the hope of glory. He made you with a plan and a purpose. And what God has shown me over time, my true calling, is not about showing you how good I am. It's about showing you how good our God is. So when you begin to live a life where you begin to think, it's not about impressing everyone or being perfect and everybody thinking I'm this great person or whatever, and we begin to show people how great our God is, then we catch a hold 
of God taking a hold of our life and blessing the very core of our being. Hear me, you can't earn God's love you. You can't earn it. God loves you. God is not a God looking and waiting for you to fall so he can go, ah, you loser. Oh, come on, you did that again. What, you just, you said that again. I thought we've dealt with that. You fell into that addiction again? Come on, get over, let's go. No, that's not how God looks at you. How many of your parents in here? You remember when your kid was like one year old and they're just starting to walk? And all the babies, they start, and when they start, it's like that Frankenstein walk. And usually they, they take one step and then they fall. Now, as a parent, you don't look at your kid and say, come on, man, you should be walking by now. You're six months old, let's get it together. Now what you do is you say, good job. You take them, you raffle, let's do it again. And you, go, you take, all oh, right, you, man, you are the man, you are the girl, let's go. God is cheering you on just that way because God loves you, he cares for you. So church, choose people over perfection. Choose perfect love over perfect performance. Choose grace over perfectionism. And when you begin to do that, just watch what God does at the very core of your being. The constant pursuit of more. I don't know about you, I wanna leave perfectionism behind me and I wanna walk out a life filled with grace and mercy. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we thank you for your mercy, your love, your grace. Open our eyes, so open our eyes today. Father, let us receive. Let us begin to have grace to ourselves like we have grace for others. Open our eyes to you. God, you love us. You care for us. You gave your life so that we might know true peace. With every head bowed, every eye closed. Maybe you're here today. Maybe that's something you've struggled with. Maybe it's something you've dealt with at the very core of your being. And you never have truly given your life to Christ. It's by faith through grace that you come to know Jesus Christ is not about your works. It's about grace and faith. Maybe you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, today is the day of salvation. That's what the scripture says. Today is your day. The Bible says the angels rejoice when one person comes to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So let me ask you, as we close today, do you know God? Do you have a personal relationship with him? Have you opened heart, your heart by the grace of God and begin to believe on who Jesus Christ is? He gave his life so that we might have life. He shed blood so that our sins would be forgiven. He rose on the third day and he's waiting for us. And one day we're gonna meet Jesus Christ in the sky. It's an exciting time. Do you know him? And if you say, Pastor Glenn, I don't, or maybe you've walked away and you wanna come back, today is your day. With every head bowed, every eye closed, when I count to three, you wanna respond simply by raising your hand. I believe that God's gonna meet you right where you are. And today is gonna to be a new day for you. If that's you, just raise your hand when I count to three. One, two, three. Thank you, yes, 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 yes. Raise it up high. 
Thank you. I see your hand up there and there. Yes, yes, thank you. I see you waving at me in the incline. Yes, yes. I see you right here. Yes, I see your hand over here. Yes, yes. Thank you. I see your hand. Right now, the angels are going crazy. It's probably another lemonade theme party happening in heaven right now for y'all. So can we pray together for the sake of all those that raise their hand? Just pray with me together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are. Your grace is sufficient. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Today, Lord Jesus, I accept you as my Lord, my Savior, my God, and truly my best friend in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Can we all stand together? God is so good, isn't he? Well, as I said earlier, Pastor Tim's in California, he's in uh, South Carolina. So I guess I'm going to be the closer today. Pastor Tim will be back next week for your closing. But how many want more of Jesus in every area of your life? Every area. Father, more of you, less of us. I pray for each and every person in this room. Every father, every mother, every husband, every wife, every child, every single man, every single woman. Anyone that's going through any difficulty, I pray blessing upon each and every one. I pray wholeness. I pray healing. Father, as we walk out these doors, we're walking into our mission field. I pray, God, that you would use each one of us to be a light in a dark world, to represent you, to lead others, to populate heaven in Jesus' name. I bless each one right now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you, church. I love you so much.